The views expressed in the following program do not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB. Live from the WGBB studios in Merrick, New York, this is Sports Talk New York. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Sports Talk New York here on Long Island WGBB. I'm Andy Sukov. I'll be your host tonight on this Sunday evening, March 14th, 2021. Happy Pi Day to people who enjoy it. Hit me up on Twitter at Andy underscore Sukov if you remember how many numbers of pie you can remember and your favorite pie and why it's apple. Because if it's not, if your favorite pie is an apple pie, you're wrong, but that's okay. Before we begin, I want to remind everyone you can follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You can visit our website at WGBBSportsTalk.com where you can listen to all past shows and check out any upcoming show information. Lastly, if you don't already, you should subscribe to the podcast WGBB Sports Talk New York on iTunes, Spotify, or just about anywhere you listen to podcasts. So we do have a fun show for you tonight. Got uh, Rich Lisk from the New York Riptide. will be joining us in a few moments. And Will Bohr from MLB.com will be joining me later in the show. So, in addition to it being Pi Day for all the math people out there, it was also Selection Sunday. And who doesn't love Selection Sunday if you're a college basketball fan? That's just fun. When you when you hear all those all those teams getting their names called out and you see it on you see it on CBS or whatever network you're watching it on and you see the joy on all those teams' faces and all the players that will get that opportunity to try to cut down the nets. I, I wish my team was doing that this year. But unfortunately, the Sun Devils were not, were not good enough to make it this year. So I, I also want to hear on Twitter who everybody's favorite team is that's going to be cutting down the nets and who's going to be winning you a lot of money in all your brackets. Because I mean, I I think it's going to be Gonzaga personally. I, they're number one overall seed. They're, the be- they're clearly the best team out there. And in this wild season with game cancellations and teams that just were all over the place, Gonzaga still continued to be the the team that they always are. And they're. That, and that's what they've been for 20 plus years. That they've always been up at the top. And, and this is, I think now this is going to be Gonzaga's year. They're going to be the team that finally cuts down the net after a long time waiting. They're, they're going to be the snubs. Teams like the Louisvilles and the St. Louis's. That this year, I actually found this kind of interesting. Was that they were, they're doing now a standby just in case in between tonight and Tuesday team has to drop out. So the last, the first four out now get to be on standby in case that happens where they can fill in. That, that hopefully will not have to happen and all the 68 teams that qualify will get to play. And we will get back to that in a little while, but for now I would like to introduce my first guest. He's the Executive Vice President of GF Sports and New York Riptide of the National Lacrosse League, Rich Lisk. Rich, thank you for taking the time tonight. How are you? 
Good, good. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm sure you're very happy as a Rutgers guy that your team is is in the big dance this year. Yes, finally. I've suffered through so many years, believe me, through football and basketball. So excited about uh, excited about the Scarlet Knights getting in. Yeah, you you must you must be loving what Pikeel what Steve Pikeel brings to that team. Oh God, it's been it's been a breath of fresh air. And uh, when I was there back in, I graduated in '90, so I was there '86 through '90. We had decent teams and, and decent afterwards, but I, I love the direction they're going in now. It's just uh, it's something special. And then you go on the football with Shiano and what he's doing. It's uh, it's starting to go back to where it was. All right. Well, we're, we'll we'll jump we'll jump right into the lacrosse part of it. What what drew what drew you to lacrosse? It's funny you say that. I was, uh, for, for years, I, I, so when I was at Rutgers, actually, my roommate was a big lacrosse player. His name was Jim Eckert, played defense for Rutgers, and, and then I, I did a little bit of club lacrosse there, but that was it. That was my, that was my extent of the whole lacrosse. And then when I got into sports marketing, I, I worked at the World Wrestling Federation, and then I went, worked, and worked for the, the, uh, Comcast Spectacore organization with the Flyers and we started the Phantoms and I got involved really on the hockey side and really got bit by the hockey bug and worked for the Phantoms, um, for a couple of years and then went on to the Trenton Titans in the East Coast Hockey League where I was there for about, oh my God, seven years and, um, I left there in 2005 after we won a championship and I was the president and GM and I did a little arena football but I always stayed in the hockey side of things. I was a scout for the, um, the, the Niagara Ice Dogs in the Ontario Hockey League. I was a coach for my kids. And hockey and lacrosse are very, very close. So I started my own company about 15 years ago, and I hooked up with the Philadelphia Wings to start doing their marketing and became their COO and just realized that hockey and lacrosse are, are very, very tight. So I started navigating towards the uh, player personnel side on, on, um, on the Wings. And then the Wings got sold to the Mohegan Sun Casino, so I went with them, that organization there. We became the New England Black Wolves, and I was there for seven years. And then uh, when this opportunity came up here at GF Sports to start running some of their properties, I, I jumped over with an emphasis on the Riptide, and it's been nine years now in the league. This is my ninth season in the league, and uh, happy to say that uh, we're moving in the right direction here, putting some good things together. For sure, and it, it's it's funny you say that hockey and lacrosse are very similar because I, I I was I was thinking about it, like I like I I'll watch a lacrosse game here and there when the college tournament's on because like I, like I know Johns Hopkins and Duke are amazing and I'll, I'll watch the game here and there, and like I I used to broadcast hockey myself, and watching that it's like hmm that's kind of like hockey on on a field. Yeah, exactly. So I saw in your in your thing that you broadcasted hockey. Which teams were you broadcasting? I, what were you broadcasting? I, I did I did Arizona State when they were club when I was a, sure. when I was a student there, and I was working uh, Stony Brook for about six seasons. Sure, I had uh, my uh, my two sons played. My older son played at Endicott College, Division Three, and my youngest son <laughs> he's had a rough year with COVID and everything. He was going to do uh, club hockey at Bentley. So uh, I know those those programs well, and then Arizona State went Division One, which was interesting. Yes, it, which is which it, is nice. It, it, it's it, not bad if you can go out there and go to Arizona State play Division One hockey. That's a pretty nice area that, to do it. That, in. That, that's what I said. <laughs> that's good. It'll start popping up more out there, right? Arizona State will really start opening up that West Coast for more Division One hockey, which is exciting because it is a uh, it's it's a great sport, and I didn't realize how close it was. 
until you really get into it, and it really, really is is very close. And 80% of the guys we have on our team, 85% are from Canada. They all grow up playing box lacrosse, and they grow up playing hockey. And I had a, a couple of funny stories about that. I had this one guy in Philadelphia when I was there. His name was Kyle Buchanan. And when I signed Kyle, he came to me and goes, you know, I met you once before. And I said, really, when did you meet me before? He goes, when I was 13 years old, you were the assistant GM for the Trenton Titans in the East Coast Hockey League, and my uncle was your captain, and I used to run around your locker room all the time. Wow. And then he came to play for me in Philly, and when we were talking, he goes, you know, I played hockey with Claude Giroux on, uh, when we were in juniors, and I scored 75 points on his line. So we were in Philly, and we got Claude and him together, and then they used to come to all of our games, Claude. And they'd, we'd go to their practices, they'd come to our games, and they rekindled a friendship while they were there. So that's how close this sport is. I mean, if you if you listen to Wayne Gretzky, he says he's Wayne Gretzky because he played box lacrosse and hockey. And, uh, and I just think the two sports are just great. So we're talking with Rich Lisk of the New York Riptide. So... Tell me a little bit about the Riptide. So they're the, so right now they are the third team in the National Lacrosse League that have played on Long Island, including the New York Saints, who were there for almost two decades, and the New York Titans, who were there for a few years. You guys have now been in the league for a couple seasons. So tell, tell me a little bit about them. So um, I got here last year in January, and um, this is our it was our inaugural season last year. We had the expansion draft. We had the first pick in the draft. Uh, we we. Uh, so I got here after they picked the team and started going. So I was probably five games into when I got to this team. And um, it was interesting. You know, we went one and 12. And we weren't, we weren't very good the first year. And uh, it took a lot of reflecting and a lot of looking at where our future lied. And uh, the owners came to me and, and said, you know, give us your assessment. And when I uh, made an assessment, I, I, I looked at it and I said, you know, we're going to have to make some major changes here. So in the off season, it, um, we were one and twelve, and then on March the thirteenth, we went home. Um, actually, funny, we all went to a happy hour at the Green Turtle right outside of the Nassau Coliseum there, and then we went home. And then fifteen weeks later, we were still uh, at home. Everything shut down, and then the league decided to cancel everything. So we sat down and made a big assessment. And after that assessment, uh, I made the decision that it was time to make a change. So we changed our lacrosse operations department. We brought in a new head coach. We brought in a new GM, a new assistant coach on the offense, assistant coach on the defense, a whole new scouting system. And for months, we were putting that together, getting ready for our draft in September. And then we had our draft in September, which uh, we had the first pick in the draft. We took a, a player by the name of Jeff Teat out of Cornell. Jeff will be a generational player in this league. He is a, a once in a, a once in a blue moon talent that comes out so we're excited we also focused on free agency and there was a free agent player Callum Crawford who played for me in New England um, Callum is one of the top if not the top offensive guys in the league um, we made it a compelling uh, a compelling uh, uh, scenario for him to to jump from an eight and three team and in first place when I left uh, New England they were in first place in the, in the whole league and we made a compelling argument for Callum to jump from that to our team because of what we were showing him was going to happen in the future. And then we landed uh, the, the best up-and-coming goalie and a guy named Steve Orlemon. We made a few trades, bringing in some new young defensemen. And I really like what we've put together so far. And it's going to be a different team. It's not going to be a 1-12 team. It's going to be an exciting team. It's going to be young. They're going to grow together. 
um, for five, six years. You know, we have a we have a philosophy here that uh, we want to we want to get back to we want to get into the playoffs in the next couple of years, and then in three years, three to five, play for a few championships. And that takes from building from the back end out and adding some good offensive weapons, which is what we've done. But my philosophy, too, has always been I want these guys to play together for the next couple of years. I want them to be together for five to ten years. So that takes a certain person, too, and a certain character. And when I when we get together and we put together a team with our coach and our GM, first thing we look for is character. I want men with character and not characters. And I want men that want to play for the riptide and not just to be lacrosse players. Because you're making a commitment to be here on Long Island and to make Long Island our home and to make the Nassau Coliseum our home. If you make that commitment, then that's the player we want here, and that's what we've gone out and got. Um, and it's exciting. I, we're going to have a very exciting year. I mean, they just launched that we're going to um, start this season again December 3rd, 4th weekend. Our next season. It's been 19 months since we've played, so we're all a little itching to get back out there. I'm, I'm sure you are, but I, I do have a question. Like I, I would, I would think that the 2020 COVID outbreak, you know, put, derailed a lot of plans for what the Riptide had. And since that was the inaugural season when things got shut down, do you think that kind of, you know, put into put into motion any long-term plans that you had going? quicker or do you think that kind of you know maybe you have to sit back and wait to make those decisions because it was only part of a season that you got in you know i i looked at it in in a i'm always a glasses half full type person and it, the pandemic was hard for everybody and it's real it's still hard right we we will still follow the guidelines of federal local and, and state guidelines but it's it's hard right and i know families have been hit hard with it um, I, I looked at it as an opportunity. I looked at it as an opportunity to change some things, not just on the, on the field, but off the field, set up our business operations the right way too. And it's an extended period for us, right? It's a, it's a longer off season. And that's what I looked at when I, when I sat with our owners. And I said in a normal year, you know, if we went one and 12 or whatever it was, you know, in 18 games, we would have ended in April. We would have been back at it again in October, November. So you're talking April, May, June, July, August, September. You're talking seven months. Um, it would have been a lot of work in those seven months to put together the product that we have now. Um, so I looked at this as this 19 months to put together this product is is great for us on the planning stages. I plan on being here in the Nassau Coliseum on Long Island for the next 15, 20 years. So that takes building a foundation. And if the foundation has cracks in it or if the foundation isn't set the right way, the whole house comes tumbling down. So this gave me an opportunity to really build that foundation the right way. And, um, you know, it, it's been a, it's been a blessing for us to be able to have this long to do it. And I, and I, and I think it's going to contribute to, to a long term, product the right way on and off the field and yeah, we're talking with rich lisk of the new york riptide so let's let's talk about the new head coach uh, and i i hope i say his last name right as, as someone who's broadcasted hockey i, I better uh dan latticore latticore that was close i'm i'm embarrassed uh <laughs> so i i was looking into him a little bit he won five championships as a player with toronto when he was in the league and I, I think having that kind of winning pedigree is great to have as as a head coach of a new team. I couldn't agree with you more. His nickname is the Big Dog, and um, Dan's a big man. 
too. And and here's what I wanted. When we started looking for a head coach, we interviewed over two months. I interviewed probably ten people and then another five or six GM type people and scouts and coaches and things. But what we really were head coach, I interviewed about ten people. And um Dan stood out head and shoulders above everyone, not just because he's six foot six, two hundred and fifty pounds, but he also stood out for his knowledge. And Dan is in that group of he was the next coming. So he was an assistant coach under people like Derek Keenan, who's won many championships in this league. He was an assistant coach under Eddie Como, who's the GM of the Canadian national team and has won a champ a bunch of championships in this league. And Dan did it the right way. He was a player that went right into being an assistant coach. He cut his teeth in the minors. He's cut his teeth in the in the majors and learned from the best. So we were looking for that next up and coming person. But first and foremost, when I say when we added when we add players that have that we want that have character, not characters, you got to start from the top with character and a culture. And that was the one thing that I noticed that the team was lacking last year was a culture. And Dan and I had lots of conversations, not so much about X's and O's and things like that, because I know he knows the game. As a player, as a coach, I know he knows that. Um, we talked more about philosophies and families and the way we handle ourselves and representing an organization. And he just stood out head and shoulders to everybody, and he and I were on the same page with that. And um, it was exciting and a breath of fresh air to bring in someone like that. And then the know on his X's and O's that he's ready to go, he's ready to take that next step. Um, it, it's great. I mean, Dan is also a sergeant in the Durham police and leads the SWAT team. And he's a leader among he's – he's definitely a leader among men, which is great. And then in that process, we were looking for a GM. And I had um, – assistant coach in New England with me, Jim Veltman, who Jim Veltman, if there was a Mount Rushmore of the National Lacrosse League, Jim would be one of the four people on Mount Rushmore. He was the greatest defenseman to ever play the game. Up until last year, uh, his record was just broken, but he had the most loose balls. He's won six championships. Uh, he coached in the league. Um, but Jimmy and I were together in New England, and Jimmy, is a, uh, his character is head and shoulders above any of his playing accolades. And here's a man who's a teacher that took time off to go um, do humanitarian missions in, in, in Europe and, and Africa and things. And, and when Jimmy and I built the culture in New England, it was natural for me to look for someone like that to have the culture. But I didn't know if Jimmy wanted to be a GM. And I, I called him and he said, you know, Richard, you're going to want to talk to me about some of your candidates. And I said, no, I want to talk to you about being my candidate. And that conversation maybe took 10 minutes and he's like, Rich, I'm in. And, and let's do it. And the good thing is, is that him and him and Laddie, Dan Lattisor, played together and won all those championships together. So it was a natural thing for all of us to kind of mold together and get there. And that's what I think really makes me excited is that the philosophy, the culture, the way we all think. It's it's my thought is Jimmy's thought is Laddie's thought is Laddie's thought and Jimmy's thought. Like it's all it's all combined and we're all on the same page. And, and that's exciting for us from an organizational standpoint, but it's also exciting for the resources and everything we can bring to the players to make this the best organization it can be. And uh, as, as I was listening to all that, a lot of that sounded like, sounded kind of like the Patriot way that Bill Belichick instills with New England. And you, you hear all the, you hear all these coaches and GMs talk about, we got, we got to change the culture to something more positive. We got to, we got to make the culture one where people want to come here. And it seems like that's what you're doing with the Riptide. 
That's exactly. When I, I did interviews with all the players, I did exit interviews with all the players. And, and again, listen, we can all go out and, and, and we're, it's not, uh, I mean, I hate to put it down to this the way it is, is that it, it's not rocket science what we do, right? We're looking for athletes that can play a certain game. So we can go in and find the right athletes and the best attack guys and the best defensemen and the best um, goalies. But I, I don't I, – I, championships are won on a different level. Like, the, talent gets you to a certain point, but what's that intangible that gets you over that certain point to win championships like the Patriots, like the Yankees? You know, what is that? And and I'm really, really, really big on knowing what uh, I don't know, and I'm big on surrounding myself with the right people and building teams from the character out. That is what takes teams through adversity. We're going to all go through adversity. There's going to be ups and downs throughout the whole year. Every sport goes through it. We go through it in life. But character comes out in the adversity time. So when we were putting this together and I started interviewing the players, I started noticing certain words that were coming up. And in, in negative senses, I keep journals on a lot of things. So I'd go back to my journals and I'd see, you know, pride. The guys didn't have pride in the team. And passion was lacking. And there was promises broken on both sides, on our side and player side. Because when you make a promise, it's on two sides. And then I sat with our owners and I said, what do you want? Out of this team, if I gave you a blank canvas, what is it that you want for this team? And they said, we want to be the premier team in this league, the premier team on Long Island. We want to, we want that. So when I went back and looked at all the negatives and I looked at the positives that the owners gave me, I said, you know what? We're going to turn this around. I'm going to take these negatives and we're going to turn them into a positive. So we live as a team by P to the fourth power. We live with, you will have pride in this team and what can we do to help instill pride in this team? That pride comes with passion, and you will have passion for the team. And I want you, when you're at home working out in the gym, wearing our colors and being passionate about our team. And I promise you, we will never break your promise, and you need to promise us that you'll never break promises. And if we do those three Ps, the fourth P comes easy. We will be the premier team in the league. So everything the guys wear has a P to the fourth power. Everybody in the front office has P to the fourth power on their shirts and on their signatures and things. And that's what we live by here, that P to the fourth power. We will have pride, passion, and we will not break our promises, and we will be the premier team in the league. And that will carry us through our adversity. And if I, if guys don't agree to that and guys don't want that or guys don't understand that, then we'll make accommodations and you can go play for another team. But that's what we want here. We're talking about Rich Lisk of the New York Riptide. So, uh, so, so when the season starts in December, we are, we're all under the assumption, hopefully, that the vaccine will be widely available and fans will be allowed back at the NASA Coliseum in full capacity. What, how are you going to be looking to attract new fans who may not know that, look, that professional lacrosse is being played at the Coliseum? How are you going to be trying to attract those people to come to your games? Sure. First and foremost, we will follow the guidelines that are set for us locally, regionally, nationally, you know, I, I hope, and we all want 100% of the fans, but what they tell us we will live by and make it the best experience and make it the safest experience for everybody. Um, Long Island has a large lacrosse and rich lacrosse history. I think we do a pretty good job getting out there to the lacrosse fans. Now I want to create the memories, and I'll, 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 this is going to be a longer story. I know I like to tell stories, but... Um, my wife and I have been together for a long time since we were 17 years old, and she's one of seven. And her her father and her four brothers loved the New York Islanders. And their 
biggest memories are watching those four championships. And they, they created memories for that family that will, that will live forever. That's their time they talk about. And watching those games and what they, and what they saw in the players. And that's what I want the Riptide to be for that new generation of Long Island sports fan. I want to create those memories. So some of the things, you know, we have to get to those people and explain our story and, and let them get to meet us and understand us and, and tying in with our partners like Orlin and Cohen. And we did a hometown heroes jersey where we, um, we have these special jerseys made up that look like uh, hospital scrubs, and we're selling them. And the proceeds are going back to uh, St. Jude's Hospital and to the frontline workers. Mass Pet Federal, our banking partner, we went with them and we gave $5,000 to the frontline workers. Jersey Mike Subs, we went and fed 1,400 um, uh, um, assisted living places and, and senior living places and their staffs. We fed those guys. We're tying in with the West Hampton Beach Brewing Company and the Boomer Siason Foundation for a big project coming out here in May and April. I can't break the news yet, but it's going to be a big, big project coming out here in May and April. And while we do what we do on our grassroots side and we do our camps and our clinics and, and our junior riptide team and we're touching the lacrosse fans, we also have to touch those other people that are sports and entertainment fans and, and those fans that want to make the memories with their, with their families. So we're in the community all the time. I mean, 80 to 85% of our guys live in Canada, but I move in three, four guys that live here year-round, and they're going to be in the marketplace doing a lot of things for us. All of our reps are in every single chamber of commerce around here, and we're going to be out in the public, and people are going to, people are going to hear, see, touch, and feel the riptide as much as possible um, because, you know, the Islanders are leaving, and they're going to the, the new arena in, in Belmont. We are going to be the tenant in the building. We're going to be... Um, Long Island's team, and, and that's what we want. And I believe, running the team, uh, I believe you can't just say it, you gotta do it, and you gotta live it. I moved here from New Jersey. I'm living in Garden City. That's how much I believe in this team and what we're gonna be doing. And, uh, and we are gonna weave ourselves into the fabric of Long Island. Uh, we're talking with Rich List from the New York Rift I got a couple more for you, and like, as I was looking, sure. I was, I was looking through, Looking through your your bio while I was uh, doing my prep for the show, and I see I saw you did work with the Arena Football League with the Philadelphia Soul, and you know that was that was Bon Jovi's team. Do you ever get you ever get to speak to him? Every single day for three years. Uh, I was there in two thousand five to two thousand eight. I've never had a well, I shouldn't say never have, but he was one of the. Owners that I dealt with that was the most hands-on owner. Dealt with them every single day from the color of the uniforms and the helmets to how the boys were treated to um, traveling on the road with us, uh, calling me up on the weekends and say, hey, I'm going to pick you up, let's go to practice. Um, helping us land the big free agents. You know, a funny story. Um, it, it was, I always said he was the best uh, person to have to be able to sign the biggest free agents. We had this guy, Chris Jackson, who was the number one receiver in the league, and I think that was the one piece we were missing. We flew Chris and his wife in to uh, to meet us, the coach and I. We put him in a limo. We drove him to uh, Newark, the Prudential Center, and took him to a Bon Jovi concert. And in the middle of the concert, John recognized him and asked the fans to uh, get him to sign, and they all started chanting, sign with the soul, sign with the soul. And when we left, uh, he was signing with the soul. So wow. those were those are some fun times. I mean, we won that championship in 2008 on ABC TV, 16,000 people. You know, John threw us a huge party down in New Orleans. He brought us here to a concert in Madison Square Garden and introduced us to everybody. And 
it was a, it was an amazing, amazing ride, and, and one of the best owners I've ever worked for. I, I imagine, but I'm, I'm still a little upset because that should have been the Dragons Championship. He was he was, he was out of bounds. <laughs> you and Peter Schwartz talk to me about this all the time. Peter actually sends me pictures and ticket stubs, and I always say to Peter one thing: the refs called them the refs called them inbounds. Peter and I got to ring to prove it. And he laughs about that. Yeah, I mean, you're right. You got you got the ring, like, 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 like that. Like that's the ultimate trump card. <laughs> oh, Peter never lets me forget it, and I never let him forget it. It's funny. I got one last one for you. you, you sure. You've been you've been all over the country. You've been in so many different areas of sports marketing. Do you have what? Do you have a favorite memory from all of your travels over the years that you that you've dealt with? Oh man, there's been so many of them, man. When I started out at the World Wrestling Federation and uh, got a chance to travel with the wrestlers and, and deal with Vince McMahon, and my last year I traveled exclusively with Kevin Nash as Diesel. We were going to make him the next Hulk Hogan. I did the Rock and Jock softball game with him. I did John Stewart at a talk show. We did the John Stewart talk show. We did Real Sports with Eric Knees. Those are memories I'll never forget. And then you know, being in New Orleans, uh, being in New Orleans and winning a championship with Bon Jovi and Ron Jaworski and, and Richie Zambora was there. He was part of our ownership group and having this big party. And then we came back, and on my birthday, we had a parade in Philadelphia with 50,000 people show up for a parade in Philadelphia with that team. So that was great. And then, you know, uh, doing it my very first opening night in 1999, back for the Trenton Titans, we sold out the Sovereign Bank Arena at that time, and people said hockey wouldn't work in Trenton, and we had – 7,500 seats, and we had 5,000 season ticket holders for opening night there, and that was amazing. And when I was in New England, we made it to the playoffs after going 4 and 14. The next year, we went 10 and 8, and we went to the playoffs. We went to overtime, and I always tell this story that the fans started chanting, "Let's go Black Wolves!" without us even prompting them. And I said, "Wow, we just created a whole new fan base here in New England," and um, and that was exciting. And then, you know, being here and, and we had our, uh, we had one of our best nights before this whole thing ended with the pandemic and we had the most people in the crowd at Nassau Coliseum that night and that was exciting. So, um, you know, there's been so many, so many good memories and I'm so blessed to do it. I, I just hope there's more to come. Well, Rich, thank you for taking the time tonight. I really do appreciate it. No, thank you. It's my pleasure. And please, when we get back up and going, I want you, you, your staff, your family, I want you guys to come out and see a game and witness it. And and uh, and we'll uh, we'll even get you on the we'll even get you on the air and you can call a cross game. It's it's a lot like hockey. Um, I'm I'm gonna hold you to that. Perfect. Well, th- thank you, Rich. My pleasure. Thank you. All right, that was Rich Lisk from the New York Riptide. So we're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, Will Bore from LB.com. We're gonna talk some prospects and some spring training. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Sports Talk New York. Tune in every Sunday night at 8 p.m. on Long Island's WGBB. Broadcasting on 95.9 FM and 1240 AM. Or listen live online at WGBBradio.com. Stay connected to Sports Talk New York on WGBB by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You're listening to Sports Talk New York on Long Island's WGBB. And now, back to the show. 
And we're back for the second half of our show here on Sports Talk New York on WGBB 95.9 FM and 1240 AM. I'm Andy Sukov, and of course, i got to give a shout-out to my man Brian Graves behind the glass. Brian, thank you for making everything possible. You're the man. And now we're, we're going to jump right back into it. It's March. It's spring training season. Baseball's back. And after a crazy 2020 season where we had a 60-game season and bubbles for the playoffs, and hopefully now this year we're going to be back to normal and everybody gets to go to their to every stadium and gets to play playoff games in their home building. And all that leads me into my next guest from MLB.com, Will Bohr. Will, thanks for taking the time tonight. Hey, no problem. Thanks for having me. Of course. So, you know, spring training has been now a little under a month or so. How's it been treating you so far? So far, so good. Always a busy time, but kind of like you said, everything's been so crazy for the past year that it's nice to just kind of have baseball again and feel some sort of normal routine. Yeah. So, what what have what have you, so far? What have you seen the differences between spring training last year and this year? Like you were there, like right as it was about, like it was as it was starting, and then once it all shut down, what are the biggest differences you've seen between? From a year ago till now, I think I think the biggest differences are just kind of all the protocols and everything everyone's going through. I mean, obviously smaller crowds, um, you know, the the testing, everything socially distanced. The crowds that the crowds that are there are small and they're spread apart. There's not that. It's not as I guess lively as an atmosphere because you're. You're spread apart from people. You're not going crazy about everything. Um, but as far as, like, on the field stuff, I guess the biggest difference would be some of the rules, like as far as rolling innings, um, th- things like that. You know, not every game so far is there have been nine innings, 27 outs. They're kind of just, like, tweaking stuff on the fly, and if someone's gotten their innings in or gotten their pitches in, they just end the inning right then and there. So that's kind of the most obvious change that you know, actually baseball-related. So speaking of rule changes, it came through this week that MLB is going to try some things in the minors, which include a limit on pickoffs, a bigger base. So what what are your thoughts on some of the on some of these rule changes that MLB is going to try in the minors? I'd say go for it. I don't think, well, look, some of them will be great. I'm sure some of them will be terrible. But I I think baseball, I think all sports need to continually evolve. Um, and baseball has this cool thing that is the minor leagues where they can tweak stuff, perfect stuff before they adopt it in, you know, before they adopt it in the major leagues. The other sports have to do it in the professionals and kind of, kind of roll with the punches that way. I mean, basketball a few years ago changed the ball just right on the pros and then Obviously, they didn't like it. So they had to change it back. But base, baseball has advantage uh, of the minors. They can get away with not doing things like that. And I think it's cool to see them take advantage of the minors and try out some stuff. So, I mean, some of the stuff very minimal. Um, it, it'll be interesting to see whether it has an impact and if that impact is, is big, noticeable, or anything like that. But I kind of figure, I figure, why not try? I saw, like, as soon as the release came out, I saw a lot of backlash on Twitter and a lot of people complaining right away. And I'm like, hey, like, let's, let's give it a chance. I'm not saying all the rules are going to be perfect and 
this new version and everything's going to be great. But what the heck? What do we got to lose? Yeah, I mean, like, baseball is it has one of the oldest average fan base, and it, it seems like no matter what rule changes, whether it's Universal DH or the runner on second to start extra innings or the seven inning doubleheader, there's no middle ground. It's either you love it or you hate it. That's I mean, that's what I, that's what I've seen on Twitter, and I'm sure you have as well. Yeah, but the most annoying part to me is everyone's like, oh, hey, baseball needs to change. The way it is now is boring. The games are too long. There's not enough contact, blah, blah, blah. Baseball's like, okay, let's introduce a new rule to maybe change stuff. And everyone's like, no, no, no. How dare you change the rules? And it's like, well, choose the side. Like, if you if you think the game needs to improve, you can't get mad at us for trying to improve it. So, I don't know. I probably just need to get off Twitter more. I think that's probably the real heart of the issue. Spend a little less time on the internet. I, I think that that's a, I think that's good advice for everybody. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think uh, I think getting off Twitter would uh, solve a lot of my issues and frustrations with people. And yeah, we're talking with Will Bohr from MLB.com. So I know it's just spring training and teams are working out the kinks, seeing who's going to make the team and who's not. Are there are there any teams right now that are like really impressing that you're saying like, hmm, this team is going to be the one that may, that does really really well this year? Not really, just because, just because it's spring and spring results are always kind of, you know, they are what they are. And I think even especially more so this year with uh, teams being able to like roll innings and stuff. Um, so it's kind of hard to get a, a true judge, a true judge on things when if you give up two runs in an inning, but your your pitcher is tired, you can just be like, okay, inning over. And now you've only given up two runs in the inning, and you may end up winning the game four to two. When in reality, that inning could have spiraled and been a seven run inning. You know what I mean? Right. Um, so it kind of like changes the standings, but again, we don't. It's spring training results, so it doesn't really matter anyway. Um, to me, more so, what I'm looking for, especially early, is just kind of which prospects are getting chances, who, I guess, looks in shape, out of shape, whatever. And then I think toward the last week or two of spring training, um, so coming up here, maybe the end of this week, start looking at results and wins and losses. I mean, obviously, you're not going to go make a season prediction because someone went four and one in the final week of spring training. But I think the final week of spring training is when they start focusing on like a little bit of the bigger picture stuff. All right. So let, let's start, let's talk about some of these prospects and the MLB top 100 is out and not surprisingly, Wander Franco of the Tampa Bay Rays is up at number one. What have you seen from him so far? He looks like someone who deserves to be the number one prospect in baseball. Um, I've got, uh, I'm in, I'm in Phoenix. Um, he's obviously in the Rays in Florida, so I haven't had a ton of looks of him other than just TV and clips on Twitter. Um, but everything I've seen, everything I've heard checked out and he looks like a guy who A, deserves to be the number one prospect and B, will probably be up at some point this year depending on depending on how the season shakes out, but he he definitely looks like someone that's ready. And I was – obviously, that's good to see. You want to see people ready. But I was just curious with him because everything I'd heard was good and, like, this is matching up what, I, what I've what heard. I just hadn't seen it yet. And considering that there was no 
minor league season last year, no minor league games last year. I haven't seen him play since the end of 2019. Uh, so it's just good to kind of see him and be like, okay, everything checks out and he's still what we thought he was and he's still. All right. So, hey, so let's talk about some of the guys who you do see on a more consistent basis out in Arizona in the Cactus League. Seattle's got two of the top five. San Diego's got two of the top ten, and for Seattle, guys like Jared Kelenic, and he, like they like they they're raving about him. Like, what have you seen from Kelenic so far? Yeah, he he has been very impressive. Um, I know he had a minor; he was a knee issue, thumb down for a couple of days, but he's back now. Uh, he's been hitting the ball hard. He looks like someone who is ready. He is. He has said that he wants to make the opening day roster. Uh, I know the Mariners a couple weeks ago had some, had an incident, uh, with that, with one guy talking about keeping him down for service time and that getting leaked out and all that sort of stuff. Uh, so we'll kind of see what happens there. Um, the minor injury, maybe that ends up pushing him back anyway, but, uh, he, he, he looks good. Um, I think Seattle is really, Really exciting. Uh, you got Kellnick who's going to be ready either on opening day or very, very soon. Obviously, your reigning rookie of the year, Kyle Lewis in the outfield. And then Julio Rodriguez, who you also referenced, the number five overall prospect. He's a little further away, maybe end of this season or, um, or early next season. But you've got to think about the 2022 to the 2027 Mariners, and you're going to have, you know, three really solid outfielders all under like 24 years old. Um, that's pretty exciting. They've got a couple pitchers a little lower down in the top 100, too. Uh, I know Logan Gilbert, one of their top prospects, got to camp earlier this week uh, and started throwing. He's not going to throw in games, but it's good to see him out here working out. Um, so it's just the, the future is pretty bright in Seattle, which is uh, really exciting. And looking at the present, the team like San Diego, who's already got a pretty good base with Fernando Tatis, Manny Machado, Nelson Lamette, and so on and so forth, they still have two of the top ten prospects in pitcher Mackenzie Gore and shortstop C.J. Abrams. He at this point, he doesn't look like he has a spot with guys like Machado and Tatis already there. Could he be used as trade bait, or maybe they try to use him in another position? Yeah, that's tricky, because um, you've got a top ten overall prospect that's, you know, that's obviously very, very good, but then you've got Machado and Tatis there. Um, he's in, he's played second a little bit this spring, which I think would, uh, would A, be his path in the majors, or B, like you said, trade bait, um, just putting, adding more to his resume and adding to his skill set, showing off some versatility, um, that maybe another team could want. So I think that that works on multiple fronts there, but I haven't heard anything whatsoever about them trading him, I'm pretty sure the plan right now is, hey, let's see if we get have you at second, and then we've got a incredible infield once he's ready of, you know, Hosmer, Abrams, Tatis, and Machado, and and I think the other cool thing about teaching him second, in addition to, you know, versatility, slide over if Tatis needs a day or whatever, is just initially calling someone up as a second baseman takes a little bit of that pressure off right away for his first, you know, month or so in the lineup. Um, you don't have to, you don't have to do as much. The, 
the shine's not quite as bright on a second baseman as it is a shortstop. Even though he's a top 10 prospect, he'd be getting called up as a top 10 prospect. There would be a lot of hype and a lot of attention regardless, but maybe it turns it down just a little bit to help kind of ease that transition. I mean, that, that just hearing you run through that infield, that just sounded terrifying. Like I, I kind of got the, like the 2015 through 18 Cubs in my head where you had Rizzo, Baez, Russell, and Bryant, and that, like that, that infield was intimidating. Machado, Tatis, Abrams, and Hosmer, maybe even more so. Yeah, well, I mean, it takes a lot of star power to uh, compete at the top of the NLS these days. That that's certainly true. I mean, they the, got the you got the Dodgers there, so that's always good. And I mean, up until like the last couple of years, the Rockies had started getting better, and unfortunately, circumstances they have to trade their best player. But hopefully they can get back sooner rather than later. Yeah, I mean it. Look, well, it's obviously a two-team division. Um, I mean, I like some of the stuff the Giants are doing. They're getting younger. They've got some. They've got some exciting prospects in the pipeline. But right now, it's definitely a two-team division, and we'll see what happens in 2022 and 2023 as far as, like you said, the Giants or the Diamondbacks or other teams. Yeah. Taking steps, but yeah. for 2021, I would be—I don't even know the word for how surprised I would be if one of the one of the two Southern California teams doesn't win that division. Yeah, I don't think they—I don't think they made a word for that yet. <laughs> probably not. Probably not. Yeah, we're talking about Will Bohr from MLB.com. As I was looking through the top 100, there was something that caught my eye, and I was a little surprised by it. That's uh, Tampa's Randy Rose Arena at 34. I mean, we all saw what he did in the playoff in the playoffs last year, and that was nothing short of incredible. I mean, I, I think only Daniel Murphy had a better playoff run in the last five years. I would have thought he would have been higher than thirty-four. So, I I think you're definitely not alone in that. I think on every podcast, radio show, whatever that I have been on since the list came out, this question comes up. Um, well, the first question is usually why is he still a prospect because he did. We saw what he did there, but uh, as far as the ranking, I, the couple couple things go into it. Um, one is his age; he's twenty six. There's a lot of people on this list that are nineteen through twenty two, um, so that that kind of knocks him down a little bit. Right. And two is just sample size. Um, he hit. He hit 281 over 23 games last year with seven homers, which is fine. It's good. If the Rays don't make the playoffs or if our rankings come out at the end of September, no one has a problem with it and you don't think twice about it, right? Right. It's just one month, and obviously it was an insane month, and it was at the – it was in the playoffs. It's with – everyone watching and I get it and he performed great and not to take anything away from that but can he perform at that level over any sort of extended period of time or not even necessarily at that level because that level was ridiculously high but you know what I mean can he be that roughly that kind of player over a full season or was that a hot month that everyone has hot months but it just happens to be our lasting impression of it 
And that's kind of where the ranking falls in. So it's one, the age, and two, it's like, how real was that? How much is that Randy Rosarina, or how much is that, wow, you had a heck of an October? That, that That's totally fair. And again, sorry, you have to answer that question for like the nine millionth time. <laughs> You're good. And like I said, I mean, if he comes out and in April, May, he keeps performing that way, then we underranked him and we got to move him up and we messed up. Um, it happens. Believe it or not, the, this list, uh, this isn't, this is not a preview of the top 100 players over the next four years. I wish it were, and I wish we were that great, that accurate and that great, but there's going to be some misses on here. There's going to be someone in the 90s that outperforms someone in the 20s. Um, it's just the way it is. <laughs> Talk to scouts, educate, educated opinions, a lot goes into it, but yeah, I mean, Maybe he does perform, and maybe he does warrant warrant top ten consideration if he goes out and just absolutely rakes for the next five years. And that actually kind of leads me into my next question: Is there anyone like in the lower half of the top one hundred, or maybe not even in the top one hundred, that we may see in twenty twenty one and just light it up? I think lower half. I'm scrolling list right now to find him. Uh, Elliot Ramos of the Giants, where is he? Eighty two. Um, I think we'll see him this year. He has been absolutely mashing in spring, which is good to see. And he's, he's even before that, someone that I heard a lot of good things, uh, a lot of good things about from the alternate site. He's a uh, first-round pick from the 2017 draft. And I had a scout, ooh, this must have been late 2017, maybe early 2018. Um, I had a scout tell me that Ramos reminded him of a young uh, Johannes Cespedes. Um, so that's obviously always exciting, and I think he'll be part of the Giants' kind of next wave of the Giants' just next wave of stars, next wave of success um, when their team finally completes the turnaround and gets going. But he's someone at the bottom half of the list that I would definitely keep an eye on there. So with, with that, so... Like this, like this year, uh, minor leagues cut down considerably. So now instead of every team having like 900 teams, they have five. And MLB is now doing a collegiate draft league of sorts, which is, from what I was reading, it was, it's kind of like what the New York Penn League used to be for low class A ball, where these would be the guys who had just gotten drafted and they get to play like a 65, 70 game season. Do you think, do you think that's going to work out long term? Yeah, I'm, I'm curious, uh, I'm curious how that goes. They've got, there's gonna be, so there's the draft league, there's a pre-draft combine sort of thing. They're, they're doing a lot of little things that, that are interesting. Um, I like it. I, I'll obviously have to see it cause maybe I'm, maybe there's some unforeseen things that I'm just not thinking about right now. But, uh, yeah, right now it's just going to be a little quick five-team thing, and I think it's good. Get these people some reps, get them in front of scouts, just get them acclimated to kind of what everything's like because obviously professional stuff is different than high school or college where they're coming from. It's probably especially for the high school kids. Um, it's going to be a lot more regimented. But, yeah, I, I like the idea of finding different ways to ease the transition for people and just kind of – 
kind of get them acclimated and get them on track before you kind of overwhelm their senses and be like, okay, now you got to go, go, go and do this, this, and this. And I think it, I think it's a good way to help them. And I also think it's good for those teams and those regions of the New York 10 league to say, Hey, we're not totally abandoning you. I mean, yes, it sucks. Yes. It's not the same as having, you know, your minor league team there the whole time, but, but trying to give them at least, a little something. Yeah, for for sure. We're talking Will Bohr from MLB.com. I have one one other prospect to ask about and or get your thoughts on. And I'm going to bring it local here to the Yankees, and that's Jason Dominguez. And you know, we've been hearing hype about him for a couple of years, and he just turned 18. Kid's bigger than you and you and I put together. I, have, have you seen Have you seen much of him yet? He's absolutely jacked. He is. The hype around him is absolutely ridiculous. Um, I mean, I guess when you, you sign for seven figures at 16, it is what it is. Uh, you know, people have compared him athletically to Bo Jackson, Mickey Mantle, Mike Trout. Not saying he's necessarily that kind of baseball player, but just the athlete and the pure athleticism. Um, I haven't been this excited to see someone's debut, like their minor league debut, in a long time. Um, who, who, who was that? Per- who was that person for you? Their, ooh, just their minor league debut, huh? I have to think because it's tough. We don't get a ton of hype. Like I'm trying to think of early draft picks. Or like, you know, draft picks with a ton of hype or signees with hype. Oh, it wasn't, okay. It wasn't a minor league debut, but when we were in, when I was in college actually at Arizona State, the A's signed, um, the A's signed Cespedes. And I was at, because of the signing and everything, the timing and everything, I went to his first spring training game. And I remember I was really excited to see, to see who this Cespedes person was. Um, so I think, yeah, maybe that, uh, it's not a direct, that's not apple to apple. And so it was spring training and he was a little more established, not a 17 or 18 year old now, but I think that's kind of what I would compare it to. But yeah, I think, I think Domingo, there's just so much hype. And then obviously with last year's cancellation of the minor league season, it just kind of allowed this hype to build on itself and kind of snowball. And now He's been in the system for a year and a half, but he hasn't actually played in the game. And now we're just like, okay, let's let's see what's up. I mean, hasn't played in the game, hasn't debuted, but is already the number thirty-two overall prospect um, ahead of the aforementioned Randy Osorio. But uh, yeah, I think it's going to be really exciting. He checks all the boxes, like physically, uh, physically Jack. You know, he can hit, he can hit for power. He's an above average runner. He's got a, he's got a really good arm. He's good, he's a good defender. Like, every, everything's there. So it's going to be really exciting and really, I guess, curious to see if he can put it all together. Um, cause obviously having all the skills and being able to use them are two different things, but we'll see. There's nothing to suggest that he won't be able to. It's just a matter of going out and doing it. And me, along with a lot of other people will, certainly be watching when he does yeah i mean like 
Like, I don't think Yankee fans have been this hyped over one of their own quote unquote homegrown guys since Aaron Judge and Gary Sanchez were coming through the pipeline. Like, we, we all, we, we all knew that Glaber Torres was exciting when they traded for him, but in terms of guys that they signed or drafted, I, I don't, I haven't seen something like this since, since Judge. Especially, and when you, you talk about like Glaber and like, they had done stuff. Dominguez, like we said, he hasn't debuted yet. We're talking like 2024, 2025. It's crazy to see the hype. Usually when prospects start generating hype, it's like they're in double A and people are kind of catching on. This is, this is seeing them like way before, way before everything. Um, so that makes that one a little more unique as well. Yeah. Well, Will, thank you for taking the time tonight and, and you know, enjoy, enjoy the rest of your night. And it's you know, still, still probably light out for another couple hours out there. So enjoy it. No problem. Happy to, happy to join you for a couple of minutes. All right. Thanks, Will. That was Will Bohr from MLB.com. And as we were, just talking about uh, Jason Dominguez, going to be that new big thing that all Yankee fans got to be excited about. So that's going to do it for me tonight. So I want to I want to thank Rich List from the New York Riptide. I want to thank Will Bourne, of course. Got to thank Brian Graves, and I want to thank all of you for tuning in. I'll be on again soon, so you're not going to want to miss it. Enjoy the rest of your night. I'm Andy Sukoff, and I'm out. The views expressed in the previous program did not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB.